Hello. You have entered the fact zone. What? From here on out, only facts are allowed. Okay. This isn't like the Bill O'Reilly zone. Very different. Okay. <laughs> in, the, in the fact zone, we only have facts. Right. Okay. okay. Very different than the... That's yeah, very the different. Opinions, falsehoods. Yeah. They'll be bleeped out. <laughs> they'll still they'll still be here just bleeped out <laughs> it, it might get noisy we'll the see. whole podcast is just beep <laughs> but alan beep <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you think it'll be good i think it'd be great yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah i can't allow that but, but no. you know if people liked our if you liked our eating noises on the last episode <laughs> you're gonna love our beeping noises i said facts only <laughs> Have you ever noticed that on some plastic bottles, mm. uh, they have little gaps or cuts in the threading where the, the cap screws on, but yeah. some bottles don't? You ever notice that? There are bottles that don't have that? Yeah. So, like, obviously, there's the threading. There's a gap in between the threads. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, on some bottles, like, a vertical cut through the threads. Oh. So, threads go around, and then there's gaps in the threads. Uh-huh. And I, if that doesn't sound familiar, I'll send you a little Yeah, send me a uh, little, picture. Send me a little picture just to make sure I know what we're... Yeah, what are and we I'll talking make about it, here? Put it in the show notes, and yeah. you'll see this, and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, like, I know oh that thing." This. Yeah, yeah. Let me open this up. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, so in some wait, okay, so in some of them it's sort of contiguous, and in some of them it's sort of choppy. Yeah, it cho- it's chopped up, and that's something that yeah, I don't know. I've noticed that before. Am I looking I never at really the bottle top it. or the bottle itself? You're looking at this the threading. On the top of the bottle, that where you where you would screw the cap onto. Okay, but not on the top that goes on the top. Well, the cap. I the assume cap, you mean the cap the by word. that, yeah. right? The cap uh-huh. actually also has these gaps. So in the photo yeah. I've sent you, which I can actually make the sh- album art for the show. So if you have a in podcast player, it should show it. Yeah. Okay. So um, we, yes, but in they some, have the there's these these cuts in the threads there's cuts in both of them just one is bigger than the other yeah this this is an example these are two styles of what i'm talking about which is that sometimes they have these okay all right on board um and i've wondered sometimes why are there's these cuts in the threads if you're making a thread you want the thread to be strong why would you put cuts in it that seems like it would be more work why is why are they there um and why are they there alan well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, soda bottles in particular have gaps in their threads so the carbonation can vent out of those cuts oh. and not rocket the cap off like a projectile. Wow. Okay. I do have follow-up questions. Okay. That's really interesting. I, before I get into the follow-up questions, I want to point out that this picture that you sent has the date it was taken time-stamped on the photo. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's a thing that digital cameras used to do that I don't think they do anymore. I I mean, imagine if you've gone into the settings for your digital, assuming you have an actual digital camera, not just a phone yeah. uh, anymore for taking photos. But there's probably a setting in there somewhere, which is like a bake the date. But that was the, like very common at one point. It, at one point, it was like, well, obviously you want you the date stamped into the Permanently image. Permanently burned into your image. The thing is like... I kind of a little bit want that occasionally for yeah. printed photos, right? I can I think that's the idea, right? Oh, is interesting. When you print, I'm looking through but these old photos big. from family. This is very large in this image, yeah. but like I'm looking at some old photos from family sometimes, and then it's like 
this is maybe late seventies. I would not clear. Mm. And so and they might've written it on the back, but sometimes it's printed on the back, on the back of the photo paper, which is nice. Yeah. Back of the photo paper is, is really what you want. Yeah. Of course, nowadays we mostly don't print stuff, but then the thing I really want is that for, instead of it to stamp the, the image, uh, stamp the image, with the date, I want to stamp the image with your family relation to the people that are in. The- <laughs> oh, this is your your uncle's friend. So what you really this need to hear is a, is every photo you take to have an NFT uh-huh. attached to it that shows you the whole chain of command of everyone who's yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we can verify it. Second photo question. Mm. So I'm really obsessed with this photo. This is not my photo. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. What date? In words, do you think this photo was taken on? Oh, okay. So I'm looking at this photo and... Okay, well, there's a not... Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're off on a bit of a tangent. No, but I'm so here for this. (laughs) The date stamp, which I had not even thought about because it just like pulled random image from the internet that shows these gaps and threads. But what's been burned into the image there is 2012.05.08. Which, yeah. to my brain, just read immediately as the year 2012, May 8th, right? The Could like, be. <laughs> like, but that's not, like, that is not a real timestamp format that I'm no, particularly no. familiar with. Like, typically you would have uh, the year la- at last. Yeah. But the, the reason that I think it would be year, month, day is just the way my brain, and this is, like, maybe a metric way of thinking about it, but the way that my brain... Um, thinks about dates is that they go in the order like size order right so day month year or year month date is like the quote unquote like way that dates go to my brain and so when i see this my i immediately order them from big middle small without right really... but so in the so in the united states yes it, it well, tends to be <laughs> <laughs> month day year i mean like Am I right? Or does it tend to be day, month, year? Now I'm like confusing no, myself. Month, day, no, like the noises I'm making are not like you're wrong. It's okay. like this agitates me so much that I'm not sure I'm going to get into it. <laughs> but it tends to be month, like, day, year. There's some things about like American systems where it's like, well, we do things this one different way. And then it's like, okay, well, like I can see why historical reasons, blah, blah, blah. And like maybe it's better for some circumstances. But this thing of the month, day, year thing is just... It's just, it's like you chose violence as a country. <laughs> like, Listen, why? I'm not here for once, and my wife will know <laughs> that I am often here to argue this point, but I'm actually not even here to do that right now. I'm just going to say in the United States, the uh, sort of common notation is month, day, year. Yeah, and, I, and it comes from with you the way you would just, you, you know, would there is a reason it. you would say it that yeah. way, is August now, 5th or whatever. Yeah. In the EU, and they, the rest of the world. And probably the rest of the world. They tend to use day, month, year. Mm-hmm. But the, officially, they're supposed to use year, month, day. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. They don't, but they're supposed to. Hmm. Okay. So, We're getting into a, into a side <laughs> fact my point here that I have is not researched. That no one in, in common practice uses year first. Not and that I, it's and five and eight are not uh, helpful because either one of those could be a day or a month. Mm-hmm. Like if it was like if it was like 2012, 38, then we would know. We would get some information. When this is a, a plague that we've been now, we're now 21 out of 30 years into that, like for the first 30 years, 
for of the year, 30 years of the century, you get these ambiguous dates, right? Like when we're older, they'll we'll have date stamps like 47 dot. 12.4 well, how is 21 right? not solve that problem what could 21 be uh, 21 could be the day or it could be oh the year. yeah yeah okay so we need to be above 31 gotcha, gotcha yeah it gets better it gets better once at 32 at 2032 yeah. this problem is solved yeah. i mean it was a worse problem in 2020 when you literally couldn't write just 20 on your checks you had to write 2020 because someone could just put another year after your 20 Oh, I didn't think about that. I was, <laughs> oh, yeah, you lot were of, in danger all last year. Oh, yeah, uh, for all the checks I was writing on paper. <laughs> just like every... But my point is that this is probably May... Wait, this is probably May 8th. But the, mm. it could very well be August 5th. And we right, don't know. So I think really we need to put this whole fact on hold because the the, the <laughs> we can't really proceed until we know. No, yeah, we got to find the timestamp of the random Google image. Actually, you know them. what? I say Google images, but I've stopped using Google images because everything is just these garbage Pinterest links that go to nothing. I yeah. started using Bing image search. Well, instead. I guess that's what I'm using too, well, it's right? It's probably because it's DuckDuckGoing. Okay, yeah. So... The thread is broken specifically on soda bottles for carbonation reasons. Yes. So that it doesn't like explode. Mm-hmm. But if you if you shake up a soda and open it, it will, you know, come out. Right. But when will it come out? When you if you shape a soda bottle and then you crack the the cap, then mm. what's gonna start happening? It's gonna start spraying out from underneath the cap before the cap has been removed. Right. And that's because there's these vents in the thing that allows air to come around the edges. So they're preventing it from happening before you open it. Right. Otherwise, what would happen if it had a and apparently you can get some of this effect by putting on a cap from a water bottle. Like if you take a it was non-carbonated bottle that has a full uh, a fully you threaded, put that on there and you put that on there and then you shake it up. And then when you when you undo it, it will pop off. Oh, okay. So it it'll be more dramatic as a science experiment for you. Yes. Wait, but hold would... on. So I if I I ended up on the because of the date thing. I'm now on this page. Mm-hmm. Right. Both of those bottles are soft drinks. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the same size cuts. Yeah. I mean, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think so. Does that it's... imply that the that the per soda the needs are different? I don't know if it's the needs are different or if it's just like, uh, you know, vendor defined different styles of who you buy. The point is they both had cuts. Yes, they both have cuts. Yeah, and and, and like I'm I'm way far deep into regretting using the image where they both have cuts. <laughs> like I definitely should have spent more time and had an image that shows one with cuts and one without cuts. But I thought no, you no, would no, see no, the no, image no, and be no, like, no, oh yeah, no. those you, cuts that some no, no, no. bottles you have. Made the instead, you were like, what's the it difference the between perfect, the two? And forgetting into perfect date choice. math. And like, it was the perfect choice. Starting you could arguments. Not have done better. <laughs> but yes, apparently, so the okay. little gaps which you've seen the folk by now probably prevent. It from exploding yeah, when like I a champagne cut top does right, like champagne, top. but not like just sitting there. Uh, no, no. Like once you, what would happen is that when you start unscrewing it without the vents, then eventually you would unscrew it far enough that the carbonation can escape, and it would all rush to escape um, explosively, and it would tend towards popping the cap off. Um, and the pop is not as carbonated as champagne, so it wouldn't be as forceful as a champagne mm. cork, but mm. it, it could be, it would be it, at at best inconvenient. That, so they should use vented tops for champagne. 
Um, I feel like that there's a little bit because they don't. They use corks, which are the worst possible solution, right? You're literally that the whole thing is you have to do it in a perfect angle so it doesn't explode everywhere. Yeah. So screw top champagne with vented. Yeah. Uh, with a It'd vented be super easy to open thread, it would be easy to open. And my instinct is I'm just going to go out and lean and say that that exists, but. Loses a little bit some of the charm of champagne. So, yeah, this is what I was going to say. I think the problem there is that it would be less valuable to people because it would seem wrong. Like, it could be the world's greatest champagne in that bottle. But because champagne is a it ha- because of this popping thing that is in movies and everything else, and we've all seen, like, it would feel cheaper. It would feel less valuable as a champagne even if it was as good even if the actual liquid was the same level of quality oh yeah and there's so many things about um luxury goods that have that aspect where it's like we could make this better in a way that would be non-traditional and therefore it would take away sort of the point of what it is in the first place yeah and it would be it would then be less valuable but i bet like there's a difference in between like dom perignon where people are you know you're paying to some percentage of it for its, you know, the feeling of it. Oh, you're paying for the name. The name and the... the Like, I ordered Dom Perignon. Yeah, and also just, like, the traditionality of it and the ideas that come with it and the way it makes you feel that it's champagne and really actually champagne. Uh, I'm 99% sure Dom Perignon is actually champagne. <laughs> That's, like, how, how expert I am on champagne. Oh, as opposed to being a, a sparkling... Yeah, whatever from like a, another region of Europe or whatever. But if you um, like, there's yeah, but that's just marketing. Yeah, well, I assume that um, there's people who drink sparkling wines or prosecco or these other things, not you know, not as like a big celebration. Let's have some memorable thing, but just like that's their go-to drink. Man, that's weird. I mean, it, there's got to be at least someone. And for that person, just having a screw top and not having to, like, sword ch- rapier off that the point. Pop, top each time, it would be better, yeah. right? My bro- my, yeah, okay, I hear you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, my, 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 uh, my brother-in-law used to enjoy what's called a Bill Murray. Are you familiar with this drink? No, but I'm morbidly curious about what that what makes for a Bill so Murray. So it's it's just champagne. As far as I understand, it, it's just champagne with ice, and it prevents you from having the I think the like hangover problems associated with champagne. Apparently, that seems not true. <laughs> I don't. I'm probably getting something about this wrong because I'm not a big you know. Let me see, Bill Murray drink. Uh, I. Uh, cocktail du jour drink like Bill Murray. Now that's a cocktail that he likes. That's absolutely not. Uh, so your brother made okay. up this thing where he's it's possible convincing you to drink champagne with that. No, I don't do it. it. Oh, hold on. No, Bill Murray's genius champagne hack will spare you a hangover from like lifehacker.com from Thrillist. Okay, well, it must be true then. We're yeah, not bleeping that yeah. out. And it just that you, uh, how do you do this? By the way, but the way I like to drink champagne is what I like. I like to make what we call a Montana cooler where you buy a case of champagne. You take all the bottles out. You take all the cardboard out and you put a garbage bag inside of it. (laughs) Then you put the bottles back in and you cover it with ice and then you wrap it up and you close it. 
and I drink it in a big pint glass with ice. I fill it with ice and I pour the champagne in because the champagne can never be too cold. And the problem people have with champagne is they drink it and they crash with it because the sugar content is so high and you get really dehydrated. But if you get the ice in it, you can drink it supremely cold. And at the same time, you're getting the melting ice. So it's like a hydration level and you don't. Uh, so the idea, I think, is that you. You're are, just watering are, it down so you get less. Yeah, more you're water hydrating content. at the same time. Okay. So I'm going to say that's the Bill Murray. The Alan Pike is have your drink and then have like a pint of water in between each drink. Sure. But my point is that if you're going to do the Bill Murray, which is kind of appealing just by the name. Yes, indeed. You probably don't need, you probably want champagne that's easier to open. Yeah, I feel like you're once you're putting a garbage bag in there, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> the fanciness is worn off and you can just have a screw top. Yeah, that's right. It's a screw top is good enough at that point. All right. Well, we'll have uh, our people contact Bill Murray and see if we can get a co-branding thing on screw top. You know, it's possible. He he answers his own. I mean, it could be like a Garfield situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's like 99 calls get ignored. And the one we call, we're like, can we put a garbage bag champagne screw top? Oh, yeah, whatever. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Do it. And he just hangs up. And then we just try to like use the audio recording of that call to like enter into legal. It'll hold up in court. Yeah, I think so. I mean, okay. legal agreement. It's, if it's a verbal agreement, it's an agreement. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> did you have? Did you have more to say about that? No, I feel like that was like a pretty thorough examination of a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't relate to the fact. But like that, I feel <laughs> I feel pretty satisfied with it. That's great. Yeah, I think that's going to be yeah. great. You, you know what people like to talk about oftentimes when they're drinking champagne? Uh, <laughs> the New Year politics politics well yeah that it's always a fun thing to talk about no matter who there. doesn't especially in 2021 who doesn't enjoy talking about politics you know I'll, I'll i'll say something and i hope this doesn't get interpreted as being uh too partisan but i enjoy talking about politics a lot more now than i did say a couple years ago i feel like it's <laughs> just more well palatable pleasant canada situation. had your whole own you know there was the harper era well, I mean, that was a while ago now in Canada. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like just I mean, I say this from time to time on the show, but Canada's politics are so much more boring than America's <laughs> politics in a way that I appreciate greatly. And I think yeah. that there's a lot of there's a lot of we have a lot of work to do and a lot of things to improve and a lot of no. stuff on our plate, too. Um, but well, uh, don't sell yourself too short. You do have the fascination of whatever the hell a riding is, which no one on this podcast still understands. Isn't it just but the same? Don't you have? It's a district. Yes, it's just a district. It's just a very weird name. Um, I don't know. So, you ride. Or, I don't know. Why is, is it? that? Okay. Isn't that? Future fun fact. Why is it called a riding? But right, I'll figure that out. It feels, <laughs> it feels intuitive to me. Why is it called a district? <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, there you go. fun fact the political terms left wing and right wing started out as actual wings yeah i have heard this wing wings of a of a parliament back in the day yeah so like so so like so many american things uh, it traces back to the french revolution Mm -hmm. a little history for you you know i know that you have a phd in french revolution but not everyone listening (laughs) does in the, oh, there's an excellent note. Note: I do not have a PhD. <laughs> I will in use this opportunity. A PhD in French Revolution. <laughs> no, but I will use this opportunity to promote a phenomenal podcast called Revolutions, hmm. uh, and specifically the series on the French Revolution, which is truly excellent. But anyway, uh, in the summer of 1789, an angry mob stormed the Bastille, mm-hmm. which at that time was a fortress in Paris where they held political prisoners. Yes. 
And this ultimately led to a new national assembly being formed. And their job was supposed to be to write a new constitution for France. And that is not, in the end, what happened. But the rest of <laughs> I it's I mean, there's a not... bunch of stages in the French Revolution. It's like, and then this was going to happen, which did not happen. But Right. It's not really relevant to the story. Just mm-hmm. the, 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 At this point, when they, they this national assembly started meeting, it became clear that there was a significant divide among the people elected to that assembly as to a, a one particular question, which was how much power the king would have in post-constitution france because they this is the first time they were going to have a constitution what should the role of the king be how much power should the king have and the big thing was that some people thought that the king should have an absolute veto and some people didn't right i can see why that would be very divisive in a right ranging from people who are like there shouldn't even be a king at all like why are we talking about giving him power and then people who are like like well you know i mean the king has its benefits but we want to try you know totally so the people who thought that he should have an absolute veto, they all sat together because they were friends. They agreed. And they all sat together. They happened to sit together for no reason on the right of the speaker. Mm. And those that didn't think the king should have a veto, they also all sat together and they sat on the left of the speaker. Mm. In other words, the traditionalists sat on the right yes. and the change-oriented people sat on the left. Mm. And that's where the right and left as a political spectrum uh, come from, came, comes from. Yeah, in France, it, it what happened was this this happened, and then the newspapers figured out in their reporting on what was going on with the National Assembly, they noticed this pattern, and they start, started writing about it. And everyone around the world was watching because this was like the first you know revolution like this kind of triggered um uh, a lot of things, and it it they were watching it unfold, and it was not that long. Before it, it was not the first revolution. I heard myself say that, but it, it was just a big deal, and and the people in the USA heard about it. But it actually didn't go directly from France to the USA, and the next big spot to use it after France, it didn't really take off in the USA at that time. The next big spot to use it, can you guess where they where they took this on? Well, I think it would be the UK, but I don't know if that's actually Bolshevik Russia. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the early Soviet Union. Oh, okay. So. The reason behind this is that the, the the and I think I've even maybe mentioned this on the podcast before, but the Bolsheviks were super into the French Revolution. Oh, interesting. So the French Revolution is really fascinating to study, and if you look at it, it ends up dividing up into like many different phases. Yeah, false starts, and, and... that's right, and different periods and revolutionary groups that have come after that. This is why I say it was so important. They tend to believe in one particular phase over the others uh okay and they tend to say oh we're upholding the 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 french revolution of 1789 versus 1792 versus 1796 versus it lasted for a really long time and some people are like you know you know they think that the like for example some people think that the reign of terror era most people think the reign of terror era under you know robespierre and saint just was a bad thing i mean hence the name that it has now been, how we now refer to it is right. a little bit, you know, I don't want to say it's biased. Like if but, that's but, the way, it, <laughs> if it was terrible, then it's a reign of terror. But it, it definitely has a a paints a picture. Reign of a reign of terror does not sound like something I would want to be living through. Right. But a lot of revolutionary groups post France, including the Bolsheviks, that is their high point. That's what mm. they think is the good thing. They're like it, the it shouldn't be called the reign of terror. They were almost. They they were almost they almost had it and then they were yeah they were cleansing the you know they were doing the 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 work because these are real idea ideologues right like yeah. people really committed to whatever 
vision of of the future they have. And it's like, no, you need to just be a hundred percent non compromising. And anyone who is lost to the, I mean, the revolution ate itself, yeah. right? Like My every mind. single big person in the revolution was eventually guillotined, basically, in just like a, a snake eating its own tail sort of. That's loop. exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Bolsheviks were super into the French Revolution and specifically felt they were carrying out the legacy of the French Revolution. Mm. And so they used left and right as an homage to that to describe people who uh, broke with the mainstream Communist Party line. So left wing meant that you were more for an international workers revolution and right wing meant that you were heading towards nationalism. Mm, Interesting. Okay. So the the Europe generally used this term left and right. Through the interwar period, that's like the end of World War One to the beginning of World War Two, but it didn't really again become a common in usage in the USA until the twenties, and it really didn't take off until the sixties in the hmm. USA. Okay, and they there's not a single answer as to why, but the general consensus is kind of similar to Russia actually, where it eventually became useful as a way to signal your disassociation with the with the entrenchment of the middle. Hmm. Okay, so in in mainstream sixties American politics. It's like everything is there's a narrow band in the middle that's kind of running everything. And I'm to the left of that or I'm to the right of that. But I am excluded on either side. Right. Whereas now there isn't much of a middle and things have kind of clumped into either the right or left or what we would call centrist or or right. Yeah. Yeah, Everything's become super polarized right like the center can't even get together there is no actual center right the there's like to your point there's centrists but they don't meet mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they don't hang out right you know at least in this country what what i do find interesting though and i'd be curious to hear uh well i've i i, I i've read that it's the same in canada about what i'm about to say but left and right actually don't mean the same thing in different countries and, and they mean different things that is absolutely so, true in western europe it's almost entirely a class divide hmm. like social justice versus capitalism and that's kind of what i've heard is true in canada as well uh there's definitely some there's i mean that's definitely a component of it i think my sense is that in europe there's much more intentional thought i mean at least in uk politics there's more active thought about class um yeah. whereas in canada like the idea of of like well let's defend uh, our own class against the other classes is like I, I think maybe less popular than the sense I get it is in or has historically been in some European political spheres. But right, but so whereas it so in Israel, for example, uh, left and right is almost exclusively a question of religion and security. Right, so it tends to to like people align along what are the biggest like issues that are people are forming governments or forming political campaigns around rather than left and right inherently being some philosophical thing that is copy and pasteable or to people around the world. Right. Cause in Israel, it's basically just, how do you feel about the occupation of Palestine? How do you feel about the um, amount of authority that religious parties have over right. the country? Mm-hmm. And in the USA, it's actually quite complicated, but mostly it ends up being about, social issues these days more than economic or security ones right it's like are you pro or against gay marriage are you pro or against you know um abortion how you know, how this kind of thing. how true like in your estimation i i know maybe we could probably pull up some information about this although this is often hard to measure is like 
how to what degree are people voting if you ask people or try to measure that which obviously like the think tanks and the um the political parties themselves try to measure this like to what degree are people winning and losing elections on social issues um versus economic issues these days because like my instinct or my sense was the 10 years ago in the states that people were winning and losing elections more over social issues but like something like gay marriage like we mentioned that but like are people really like winning and losing elections? Like we're going to repeal gay marriage. Like that's why they're getting elected or like it seems to have gone more economic than it was. But that's, no, I don't think so. No? I think that the no, I don't think so. I just think that the social issues at hand have changed. So the issue of gay marriage is mostly settled. Right. That 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 fight, at least for the moment, isn't really a front page right now. It's like views on masks and abortion and um yeah i know, guess i guess freedom and all this kind yeah of stuff. i guess and masks absolutely and, and covid is not something i have thought of as a social issue but obviously of course it is it's not actually economic right and and if you look at the economics of it i mean the theoretically the theoretically the divide uh between the two parties between republicans and and uh, democrats is around like ah well we believe in fiscal conservatism and little you know uh, smaller government versus bigger government and federalism versus, you know, states rights and all this kind of stuff. But like, if you look at it, I mean, the Republicans in the last several uh, administrations have run up massive amounts of spending. Yeah. There's just, a- just complete lack of any care about the deficit. And the last president to balance the budget was Clinton. Mm-hmm. Right. So like it, it's, it's absolutely not uh, a financial thing anymore. Right. Both parties, are spend, spend, spend. No one is fiscally conservative anymore. I mean, I think some of the members of the party are still, you know, I think the movement among who believes they're a part of which party moves slower sometimes than the party itself does. You know what I mean? Who believes they're a part of which party? Like why people are voting for the party, why, why the people think they're voting for the party as opposed to what the party is actually about at this point. When also the whole thing starts to fall apart when people are voting for a party, which not everybody does this, but when there's a larger percentage of people are voting for a party out of some sort of sense of identity, like I am a Democrat. Well, what does the Democratic Party believe? Well, I don't know. I'll find out. And then that's my opinions on something. Because right. Exactly. I'm it's not all team based. So now. that's, you know, a team. Yeah. Team based voting that also screws up the left right thing from having any philosophical underpinnings, because then it's like, you know. Right. A funny aside to this, by the way, that I was uh, talking to Daria, my wife, about this fact before I did it. And she sent me this amazing news story. It's all in German. So I would share it with the I'll put it in the show notes, but just understand that it's all in, in German. And it, it uh, I don't I'll have to find out for follow up what ended up happening. But basically um, in the uh, coalition forming for the new German government after the election, they were um, there was a discussion about uh, who was going to sit where, and in Germany, the way that they do their seating is based, uh, like most European parliaments, on the French Chamber of Deputies mm-hmm. after the Revolution. So conservatives, the more conservative you are to the right, the more progressive uh, to the left. But then the parties that don't all agree on who's more conservative than who. Well, no, that's probably true, but no, in this case, the FDP, uh, <laughs> they wanted to move into the middle. Because they didn't like sitting next to the AFD. Okay. The, the, because the AFD is like, you know, the an incredibly racist, far-right nationalist party. Or, okay. So they're like, even though we may be in terms of left-right, we might be similar to them in terms of like this really horrible aspect of them. We don't even want to be close to them. They just said, I think they said that they like literally didn't just didn't even want to hear what they were saying because they were just like, 
it was so unpleasant to sit next to them because they were yelling things and being awful. And, but the um, the uh, uh, union uh, doesn't didn't didn't want to switch with them. Right. It was like I, we don't want to sit next to no. them. Like basically, no one wants to sit next to the AFD because they're awful, and no one will partner with them either. They they were like the second or third biggest party in the in the country, and they, they can't form a government because no one. Every other party has said they will not party with them. Yeah, there's interesting dynamics that come out in these parliamentary systems where you really have third, fourth, and fifth uh, place parties that, that are yeah. competitive and they can get seats. But you you one of the things that is commonly cited as to why proportional representation systems people can be skeptical of them is like well then the like horrible racist party can like get some seats and then they can cause trouble and that's true but there are political ramifications they can cause trouble yeah they can definitely cause trouble for sure but there are political ramifications to making an alliance with the horrible racist party hopefully assuming that the majority of people are you know have their heads on straight and so it's not as simple as just like oh okay well the horrible racist party gets 10 percent of power and then they're the kingmaker and then everyone just tries to like woo the horrible racist party like it's slightly it's slightly it, more nuanced. Yes and yes and no. I mean, the horrible racist party, sure, and the the AFD is so far outside of the um, acceptable parts of Germany that I think that that does play out the way you're suggesting there. But I will say, in Israel, the one huge challenge that there has been for many many years, every time there's an election, is that um, the the country is very split among the parties, and nobody really has like a a, a huge amount. Mm. And what ends up happening is that the super ultra religious parties end up being absolutely necessary to form any kind of mm. or a lot of kinds of coalitions. And so they end up getting uh, partially because historically nobody would work with none of the Jewish parties would work with Arab parties, which is a whole separate, very upsetting and problematic thing and broken by this most recent government, which is the first time an Arab political party is in the coalition, Okay, th- uh, which I think is very, very promising. But yeah. um so they would end up partying with these ultra right uh, or ultra religious parties who then got way more control, like very small numbers and had massive control over how certain things would go mm. to the point where in Israel today, there basically is no public transportation on uh, the weekend. Oh, right? Like, right. <laughs> right. And like, that's not awesome. And Israel is not a particularly religious country. Right. But right? there's just and, enough percentage and, of people who are religious enough that they vote. And in they that, just happen mm-hmm. to sit exactly. They're like the Joe Manchin mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of Israel, you know, for an analogy, many Americans will understand. And it's a real, real, real problem. Yeah, King, so yeah, I think be, that yeah, you mentioned Joe Manchin. I have to make sure I make it very clear. I understand the Kingmaker dynamics and politics can be a problem and we're seeing it in extreme uh, amount in the states right yeah, now there's so. literally one senator from west virginia right now who's holding up most of the agenda of the entire democratic party right right that's a real problem and you can be and like so, i'll only approve this bill if everybody also gets a free green hat and they're like oh okay, that's right i guess that's that's what you want uh, that's all what, right it's green hat time green hat time it's you know. part of it now and i i mean how many people like what is the population of west virginia uh, which is, by the way, a beautiful state, hmm. uh, absolutely beautiful. But the population of West Virginia is 1.8, we're going to ra- round up 1.8 million in a country of 330 million people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, however many people voted for Joe Manchin, he has way too much, uh, uh, you know, authority based on that. Yeah. So it's it's a real, real problem. It can be a real, real problem when when your coalition requires. Like in Germany, there are enough parties uh, that are doing well enough, that, and the AFD is still, you know, way too much of the vote, but s- small enough that it, they are not. It's very easy to ignore them. But if they're if that wasn't true and they had to be um, included, it would be a real problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
anyway, I just think it's fascinating that it literally if 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 the people who thought the king should have an absolute veto were like the air condition, there's a window on the left. There's no air conditioning. It's mm. the summer of 1789. We're going to sit over there. Then I, I would now be extremely right wing, which is very funny. <laughs> very funny. To it me it to just think all about. come out a different way. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think we've we've talked about left and right wing a little bit over the years, and I continue to feel this way, and maybe feel this way even more strongly than I used to. Is I think the whole idea of left wing and right wing, and the idea of boiling down politics into a single dimension even though as you we were talking about how people think of that dimension is very different from country to country and also different from like federal and state and city politics or whatever but i think that that's one of the most like negative influences that has come in down on politics over the years because simplifying down policies into one basically spectrum right removes thought to such totally. a degree because there's so i mean obviously it's convenient and there's a bunch of advantages to that but there's so many policies that don't philosophically necessarily go together in any way that just clump together as right wing even just as simple like you were saying about social policies versus economic policies like you can coherently say that you are very socially uh, laissez-faire that everybody should be able to do what they want socially um, but then from an economic perspective you should have low taxes and low services and like this sort of libertarian idea like you can coherently have that is that left wing or, or right wing like but no well like, i mean in theory i mean th- this is somewhat uh, you're coming from a ca- canadian perspective so i'm finding it interesting that you're saying this because in theory that's easier to do in a country like canada as opposed to the u.s where like in the u.s we only have two parties and so every position that they disagree on has to be then either left or right. Whereas it, you, you could imagine like a quadrant system. The problem, I, I guess what you're saying, I, I, what I'm hearing you say is that the libertarians, like if we do it on a party basis, it's kind of weird. Like we could do it on an issue basis and say, where in this quadrant does it land or whatever. But on a party basis, it's like, well, is this party left wing or right wing? Because they completely agree in the legalization of all drugs, but they don't agree on the, you know, yes. that they want no regulation on the market whatsoever. So are they, so in one sense, that's very liberal. In another sense, we tend to think of that as conservative. So what is it? Yes, I, I, we definitely sense. have a better time of it in Canada than you do in the States, but we still like... I in still, I'm, yeah, yeah, in that, that way, definitely, um, in that we have multiple parties <laughs> and they have some different trade offs. Yeah. But the thing that still frustrates me, and I think a lot of people think about politics this way and people vote this way and things get boiled down to this, is that when you look at we have a handful of parties in, in Canada that are running, they often, their views tend to still kind of spread out in a fairly linear way. You don't end up seeing, like, m- for the most part, the, the NDP ha- has all agreement with all of the liberal policies of the liberal party which is the more centrist party the ndp says all of the progressive things they want to do we'll do those two and we'll do more or we'll do them in a different way that's more progressive right there isn't like mm. like okay well we agree with these things but actually in these places we think the liberals are going too far or we think that like maybe these aren't priorities like there are some examples of that but it tends to be so much of and then you look at the green party which i, I don't know if i want to even get into that because they're a they're a whole <laughs> thing that yeah i guess let's not get into the green party there's there's some interesting stuff there but i would need some preparation to talk about that but it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but i still think yeah we just never think about the way in which a lot of the words we use have no inherent reality to them yeah absolutely i mean this has been a a theme that comes up from time to time it reminds me 
of what we were talking about, like whiteness and, and things like that. It's like, what, yeah. what does that even mean? And it's something that people don't actually nothing interrogate, <laughs> right? You just think, of, you think you know what it no, means. No, it means whatever it means in the moment. Yeah, exactly. We all think we know and we're, it's like, we all assume we see the same color blue, mm-hmm. but that is a lot more similar probably than this, at least like, and has smaller consequences, but you know, the, the whole nature of a, objectivity yeah it has way smaller consequences until there's a dress picture on the internet and everyone loses their minds it was a simpler time that that time uh all right so on the topic of deep (laughs) socio-political issues oh great i have uh i have a topic all about around spam uh email the way hold on the stuff you get okay the stuff you get in the email not the stuff you make delicious hawaiian food no this is non-delicious this is uh i may have mentioned before i get 20 30 40 emails a day into my mostly the entire work inbox um of people trying to sell me stuff various software services accounting hr send your oh yeah because you're a you're an important person i I mean that's overselling it but i'm on a list of people that the salespeople think i may be important and then so i get like this you have access to purse strings well that is a thing i can you know as a person running a company i can say hey let's spend some money and then that would benefit a salesperson and then someone has figured that out and put me on lists of some kind and so now i get lots of these emails um and so i've become over time kind of fascinated by this world and like the sorts of tricks and things they do to try to get me to click on them or interact with them or who they think i am or how wrong they are sometimes and it's kind of a source of amusement to me Mm. um and i've come across uh uh sort of something that i found interesting recently on this that i thought i would share because other people might find interesting too fun fact there exists a tool for salespeople called a mail warm-up service that that pretends to enjoy receiving spam. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I want more information or less information. <laughs> so, um, yeah, junk mail, if you think you get a lot of spam or garbage in your inbox, check your junk filter, at least if you use Gmail like I do, and there's just even a whole other order of magnitude of garbage in there. Um, and so... Spam filter is a very important part, and there's many, many layers before it even gets into your spam box of get stuff getting filtered out through all the systems that make email tolerable. Um, but I recently discovered via a Slack group um, that, I am, that I'm in for people who run software companies, uh, somebody there asked uh, what email warm-up services everybody is using, and people were comparing notes. Oh, I use this one, and this one is cheaper, and this one is better, or whatever. Um, and I found that curious, because I think of myself as someone who is in the know about what kind of services someone... Yeah, you're, I would think of you as in the yeah, know. Yeah, I know what kind of... Stuff software software companies you're the guy you know. I, I mean i know some things and one of the things i know is like what kind of software that you might use if you're running a software business uh at least that's right uh, you know of the type that we run um and but i'd never heard of email warm-up before so here if you're in the need please don't engage one of these but if you did if if you, <laughs> but now you know at least you'll know that they exist and how they work and maybe that'll uh, shine some light on the weirdness of why are you getting all these emails that get through into your inbox so uh, here's how it works. Uh, you want, let's say you want to send a bunch of unsolicited emails from a new address. I do. You do, right? I don't. Um, I don't at all. No. And, and maybe you want to send that uh, them from a new address because your previous address had been flanked as spam too frequently, and so yeah, because I'm awful. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you go if you go ahead and start sending un- unsolicited mail from a new address, the mail filters will just send them right to junk. It's going to be like, but suddenly this address comes out of nowhere and it's just sending oh. a whole bunch of outbound mail. It, it's not, it doesn't look legitimate. It's very obvious what's going on. 
Yeah. Um, and so, but what you can do is you can pay for one of these services. And what they do is they give you a list of addresses that they control on real email services on various services that you can send uh-huh. sales emails to those emails and they'll just open them or click on your link they'll open them they'll click on them they'll mark them as not spam they'll favor wow. them they'll reply to them they'll file the emails in folders <laughs> like oh mm, very good email oh yes thank you sir oh good day i was so appreciating to get yes, this this is exactly what i wanted i'm going to respond to it in a reasonable amount of time that doesn't look like a bot with with some wow. unique text that has been generated by some neural net, so that it you know doesn't just yeah, look some like GP three yeah stuff exactly GP three generated responses. So that, and then maybe we go back and forth a little bit because we're such good friends. Thank you for these communications. Oh my god! Yeah, this is like when they had the bot talk to the other bot. Yeah, exactly. Right. right? They just keep asking each other dumb questions. Right. And yeah. so the idea is that Google, Microsoft, the spam filters, and all these various parts of, of the email delivery system learn that this email address sends out messages that people seem to care about and people appreciate, appreciate them. them. And they're well liked. Right. And so if you're really lucky, they'll get flagged in Gmail as important, let alone they'll actually come to the inbox. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, <laughs> right? It's awful, but it's, it's one brilliant. of those like you're you work at Google and you've done all these systems to figure out how all the spam filters of like how people interact and you're like you sit back and you're like, "Ah, I figured it out." And then the first thing that you're like, "Why did this come through? <laughs> this is obviously garbage." And you dig in and you're like, "But it says like 10,000 people interacted positively with this." And you start digging in and you're like, "Oh no. Oh no." Oh no! You know what? It, it's 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 fascinating. And I think that there is a, a whole class of problems that it's very hard to explain to non engineers. Mm-hmm. Where it's like people are extremely good at recognizing this. A person can recognize this class of thing instantly, yes. right? And it's almost impossible for a computer to do it. And in particular, the one that's really challenging, this is of that category, it's almost impossible for a computer to do it when there's an adversary computer that is respond that has feedback information and responding to try and trick the scam. Yeah, imagine if this was like in real life. I mean, this is like going back to like old timey, you know, uh, fraud where you just like. You know, you, you have like a friend of yours in the audience who's like, I bought it and it's great. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, who's who's <laughs> responding to the pitch of this huckster yeah. uh, or who's playing three card Monty and winning. Except that the hucksters have like an algorithm that's feeding them immediately immediate feedback because they get deliverability information. Because if you're sending out emails <laughs> and then the little tracking pixels and stuff aren't getting loaded or various things that they use to figure out. And also, like, they can even measure de- deliverability with their made-up addresses, too, right? So, like, they, you can say, okay, we'll send out some, some, some spam or sales email, depending on how you want to characterize it, to our <laughs> bot addresses. And then our bots will see whether or not it got marked as spam. And then we're getting a feedback loop of about how spammy we can be and what things are helping things go into spam or not. And so because they have a feedback loop, it makes it even easier for the senders to try to obfuscate things and sing and dance in a way that makes the spam filters let things through. It makes it so difficult for the spam filters. Imagine if that was your job. Trying to get around the things? Yeah. Like you're the person who's sitting there. I mean, I guess maybe you just get excited about like maybe you are a person who can really disassociate from what the effect of the thing you're doing is and just be really excited about the 
difficult puzzle. That's very much the mentality. And I've talked to people over the years who have been involved in businesses where the thing was really, the thing they were doing was getting around legitimate protections of stuff. But normally there's a mix of, what I see is a mix of the mentality of, I really like solving puzzles and with a little bit of like, these people were so dumb to make it so easy that I could do this. Right. Yeah. You convince yourself that it's, you know, it's their fault for having this vulnerability. It's their fault for not doing a better job at whatever it is. It's just, and then those people, it's exactly the same person who gets hired on the other side. Yes, exactly. I'm sure that the people who are writing these things are getting hired on to make Gmail's filters better. Well, who, why would you yeah, not hire that person? They're the best person. Right. They know how to get around it. But the other part of it that I think some times people discount, they're like, oh, these must be the most evil people, is that the businesses that are in this, like often, you know, the best way to, to build an effective business in this space is to deceive yourself and definitely to deceive your staff, not in a totally like, completely lying way, but in a, and like, I can tell a story as a person who does sales. I'm not a salesperson. I don't send cold emails, but like I, I, people want to pay us to build software for them and I have conversations with them and I need to sell, I need to sell some of them. I made to sign deals in order. Yeah. To build although software. usually my understanding of you is you talk them out of doing it, but that's that is our primarily <laughs> what we try to do. But sometimes we don't talk them out of it and they're like, no, 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 we really want to pay to build this thing. Um, they have to like kind of go through various soups, right? So it's not stereotypical, but I'm sympathetic to the mentality of needing to, to make sales. And especially if you have a product that you think it's a good product and you think it helps people and you think that people get good value out of it, but people are maybe not looking for the product or they're not aware of it. And so to go and start reaching out to people that you think could really benefit from the product, but you know that they get a whole bunch of bad email, actual spam, that's just a bot sending 1 million messages that are just like Markov nonsense for Viagra. But then it's very easy to, to, if it's your job to do so, to put on the the mentality that you're like, well, but I am a person who's going in and I'm finding a certain number of people that I've identified as as potentially or maybe even probably really needing the thing that I'm selling. And so if I, I, I'm not like the spammers, this isn't spam. This is real email from me, a human being to you, a human being that is intermediated <laughs> by a bot that like follows up and says like, Hey, I noticed you haven't clicked on an email. Let me know if you, right. But like, but it's still me. And like, I know that you're, you're actually a handpicked lead right or you know not lead but prospect or whatever and so like people get into this mentality like you know once your job to get into a mentality that you think you're doing things that are worth doing or that are reasonable or that are upstanding or whatever then you put on your that mindset and then the people building these tools i, I imagine and the, if you read in the branding they're like oh make sure since you're me- they have this sort of you know marketing copy that's like well your messages aren't spam so they shouldn't be labeled as spam like you're not a spammer you're just a person that's sending out legitimate sales messages and like there's a little bit yeah it's like working at facebook it's it's like you have to buy into the best possible version of the consequences of what you're doing because almost nobody wants to see themselves as anything other than the hero in their story. And almost nobody would say they are not a good person and not trying to do the right thing or any of these other things. So if you're working at Facebook in 2021 uh, and there are, you know, tens of thousands of people who are, right, you have to believe that what you're doing is either you're completely amoral and you don't care but I think that's very few people. You have to believe that what you're doing is a positive thing. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of the work that they do in leadership at Facebook is talking through and putting together language and putting a perspective on the work that they're doing to help the internal teams feel like what they're doing is making the world better rather than making the world worse. 
Right. And but the people who are putting that together also believe that. Yeah. Yeah, like the, there's this famous email, which we can link in the show notes, from the now CTO, I believe, of Facebook, talking about how connecting people is inherently good. And that, right. yeah, sometimes you'll connect people and they'll get married. Sometimes you'll connect people and they'll start a terrorist cell. But connecting people on the whole is good. And so that's what we do. And no matter what, we're going to connect people as much as we can. And when you read that, that's like, right. that reads not as somebody who's like, evilly or at least to me like mwahaha like here's how i like i feel like he really believes that that is inherently good i'm a little skeptical that if you connect people and they form a terrorist group that that ended up being a net win but like and not that that's he's saying that that particular interaction is a net win but he's saying like oh the the average on average it's a win right but um but like he he really believes that and then he's able to convince people to believe that and you know a lot of salary and maybe working on a product that a lot of people have heard of and there's other benefits too that can help you sort of resolve that cognitive dissonance into the way idea of which is an idea that many people over many years of many circumstances teach you know bring themselves into well i can fight it better on the inside right i'll make it better right that's true that's certainly there's those people and then you also have the people who like you said it, it's the i the notion that it is uh, an unqualified good writ large which is again focusing on the most positive outcomes and ignoring everything else and also ignoring the way in which you the way in which that intersects with the way that your company actually makes money which is to prioritize engagement over everything else which does not necessarily encourage communication as much as it encourages you know addiction and and Uh, time spent and those kind of things anyway it all plays out in interesting ways but my point was just that you have to convince yourself presumably most people have to convince themselves that what they're doing is a good and it's not hard to see you know in a facebook example the really nice stories that do come along with surreptitious you know uh, or serendipitous connections and um you know the ways in which even the creepiest features of the past could be spun as like if you're only looking at the positives and never thinking about the ways that it could be misused. What is fascinating, of course, is that most companies in that space have pivoted to at least an acknowledgement that the internet is not the place it was 20 years ago and that they should care about that. It's something like YouTube removing the dislike count, mm-hmm. you know, just in the last few days and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, uh, not all services have done that. But I think it's less and less that there's services that are just thinking like, yeah, upload your address book to us. It'll be totally fine. We're great. Everything's well, you, great. I mean, you know, this, kind of Facebook has been 10 years of rounds and rounds of uh, taking that stuff more and more seriously. And first, just, yeah, they've changed. they've changed so much. Like, you know, we can yeah. argue uh, and maybe there's not enough disagreement in between the two of us for it to make for a good argument. But <laughs> no, we could argue not. about how uh, if they've changed enough and and you know what they should be doing but the way they talk about things if you watch um and i was kind of i'm kind of fascinated about vr and ar recently um and so i watched the uh mark zuckerberg we are facebook is now meta keynote oh i watched thing, it and too. like oh, okay what's the future going to be I watched but then too. i also and i also watched um john carmack who's always fascinating if you i yeah, watched that him too, talking yeah. about like okay well actually a lot of this is unrealistic but here's what i think kind of from the technical side of things um but if you it, he's still there consulting cto but whatever <laughs> um the uh he's just fun um to to watch talk about technical things but the um the way that facebook talks about things like uh safety and privacy and security and stuff like that um over time has become 
it seems way and some of maybe i'm sure a part of it is just practice and pr practice but it seems used to be very like lip service like oh yeah yeah you want privacy okay like whatever we'll give you some check boxes and now it seems like like okay like we really do you know we're really gonna try i don't know if they're gonna succeed but they do seem like we're really gonna try um which is like now the next step up from we're gonna give you some check boxes and make them all default yeah i mean you know nobody wants to hear us Nobody wants to hear us talk about this anymore, but uh, I will say that they part of their problem is that they're already Facebook. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't nobody. There is a certain segment of people who don't care that they now say they get it because they're already Facebook. Like if a new company was started today with exactly the same words, I would still think a lot of the metaverse presentation seemed dumb (laughs) and some of it seemed and also like uh, some of it seemed just very weird and like. Also, it's kind of depressing that it's probably going to be mostly for enterprise where it's valuable, but there's some of it's interesting and blah, blah, blah. But at any rate, literally nobody to some first approximation, there's a fun term of nobody wants to hear us talk about this. So, That's true. Um, That's true. But I do think that there is like a fundamental problem, like you say, of any big company when you get big enough and you're a billion, multi-billion dollar company, one of the biggest companies in the world, and then things really need to change, like the tendency is for things not to really change, you know? It's really hard, and it's really impressive when you can pull it off, and I think if they pull it off, it'll be very impressive. Yeah. So. Yeah. What a fun <laughs> way to end the show. Hats off to Facebook. <laughs> you can do it. Be, be not you horrible. We believe, in, we believe in you, Facebook, to be slightly less awful than you used to be honest with you i just find facebook mostly boring at this point but that's yeah me. well i mean they're trying to they're trying to do away with that when you're the founder you control the company you can be like let's do a whole bunch of totally different stuff and you know yeah to like just try and fire me yeah who's the founder of this podcast i guess it's both of us well kind of you because you were the one who was like hey i have oh. an idea for a podcast we should do it and it'll be called fun fact yay that means i yeah. can do goofy ridiculous things and change everything <laughs> ah! it's now going to be called uh <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you pitch it as fun fact and then i was like oh okay i'm totally in but i had a totally different vision of what the format would be than you but then i just railroaded <laughs> the format into what i thought it should be based on the name yeah that's true so, that is very yeah. true i need you all out there to know that's very true <laughs> like no we say fun fact and then thing you're like well i don't know if it yeah. has to be like and then we, fun you don't have to say fun fact every time i'm like no no we have to you're like no that's, you that's part of it were, yeah but you, you sold were, me on you were right <laughs> in my mind you you literally never said anything about the format yeah that's no i definitely didn't but (laughs) yeah i think it's worked out okay that is the silly energy i needed all right i'm glad i'm glad to help provide that for you yeah this is why i do this great it get me stoked yeah this is the real reason i do this it's not for the fans it's for me i mean it's partially it's like 70 percent for you and 25 percent for the fans what's the last five (laughs) percent bonus (laughs) nfts <laughs> we do we we do need to decide as a show yeah. like for fun fact incorporated yeah whether or not we're doing an nft yeah. or a metaverse oh Which one, yeah you gotta are, pick one are we web three it's kind of we... if you do both it's a little gauche that's a little much yeah do are we going do, do you think it'll be metaverse or omniverse i heard that is also a term okay so <laughs> and we're gonna do this no 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 we're definitely not gonna do it <laughs> no, 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 no. no. nope shut it down Beep. <laughs> shut, it, shut it right down 
<laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs>